Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. You guys have been with us all summer. This is not the longest sermon series I've preached, but it would be the second longest. Uh, We've gone all the way through the book of 1 John. Today, we're going to finish this book. So how many of you, just at the beginning of this series, I invited you as a spiritual practice to read through this book once a week? How many of you actually honestly did that the whole time? Cool. All right. Maybe if it, it was short, like if it wasn't like 12 weeks, maybe, maybe we'd do it if it wasn't 12 weeks. We'll, we'll get there. How many of you read through the book cover to cover once? More than once? Uh, five times. All right. Cool, cool. That's exciting. So you're like about half. That's great. Did you, for those of you who read through the book repeatedly, did you discover new things? Every time you read through it, it's like, oh, I didn't see that last time. Did you find that? This is yes, this is no. Cool, cool. Well, we're going to finish that series today. And I don't know about you, do you love baptism? Like, don't you just love this? Like, it's so exciting. I love baptism and everybody celebrates and it's just like everybody's giddy and we take pictures and I don't know how many of you are going out to eat after this, but we'll probably go eat and it's just amazing, right? It's so exciting. And, and, I think this is, you know, it's one of my favorite things ever to do is, is to celebrate baptism. And for those of us who've already been baptized, maybe it calls to mind the, the time when you got baptized. How many of you, you know, just show of hands, like, I remember when I got baptized. As these guys were getting baptized, I remember what that felt like. I remember that. And so you, you remember that decision. And so I don't know about you, but like, I cry every time. Like, I'm like, oh, I remember what that was like. And that space. And if this, as time goes by, like the gap gets longer from the time you were baptized to now, you start thinking about all the things that happened since that day, right? Maybe you kind of go that way. You're like, oh, like, I remember I got baptized, but then there was this, and then there was this, and then there was this, and all these things, right? All this stuff. And then if you're like me, you start thinking, well, all the, there's so much that God wants me to do in the future. Like, baptism is like, is the beginning point here of like all the stuff that God wants to call me to. And I don't know about you, but as I start to think about this, I start going, man, that's a long time. That's a long time from the day that I got baptized till the day I die. It's a lot. Am I supposed to really live as a Christian all those days? Like, how, how's that supposed to work? And you start to wonder, right? It's like, man, this, this, this feels like a long time. And everybody clapped for me when I got baptized, right? Everybody got excited. And Derek even let him clap twice. It's great, right? Everybody gets excited when you get baptized. You give your life to Jesus. Everybody gets excited. And then when you think about all the years since that, those of you who have done this a long time, you're like, people don't clap for me following Jesus anymore. So every now and again, get, people get excited, but there's a lot of like, this feels like a long time. Can I remain a Christian for the rest of my life? And then I don't know about you, but like you see in the news, right? Like all these, these celebrity pastors, right? They're supposed to be like the, this is what mature Christianity looks like. 
and they blow up their lives. And you start going, well, if they can't do it, I don't, what hope do I have? You have like these, these folks who are big names in Christian music circles, and then they publicly say, I'm deconstructing my faith. I don't know that I believe anymore. And you go, if they can't, what hope do I have? You guys are like, I was so excited, and now you depressed me. <laughs> Hopefully this will be redemptive. Right? I mean, you, you sort of feel like, I don't know if it's possible. Is it possible to live and keep our faith in Jesus for the long term? Is it possible to stay Christian for the long term? Like, what if I actually do want to live out affirming this thing that I did and I told everybody that I gave my life to Jesus, that I received this gift of eternal life and that it's supposed to make a difference, but I got a lot of years to go. Is it possible? Is it possible? We've been in this series all summer and today we're going to finish this series. And as we've gone through the series, I've told you that John is writing in the book of 1 John to a group of house churches that experienced a split. And it was a split around false teachers who said, hey, you don't have to have a relationship with Jesus in order to have a relationship with God. That you can sort of skip that step. You don't have to do that. And so the whole book of 1 John, John is trying to like rebut this teaching, saying, no, that's not true. You actually do rely on faith in Jesus to have a relationship with God. And so a couple weeks ago, or in all these weeks, we've been saying that John says, this is how you can know that you have a relationship with God. The whole book is, this is how you can know that you have a relationship with God. This is how you can know that what the false teachers are teaching is false. And so we get to the very end of 1 John, and he's going to write some parting words. He says, now that you're going to live the rest of your life following Jesus, how do you do that? Is it possible to live the rest of our lives following Jesus? And John gives these churches some parting instructions. And what he's trying to say is that God gave you eternal life when you said yes to Jesus. God wants to give you eternal life at the end, but God wants to give you eternal life every single day. That this gift of eternal life, this surrendering to Jesus is supposed to make a difference every single day, and there's a way that you can do it. I'm calling today's message, How to Stay Christian for the Long Haul. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at Scripture. So Lord, I do just thank you, thank you, thank you that you are in the business of rescuing people. I thank you for all those who got baptized today. God, that you would seal in them the faith that you've deposited. God, I pray that as I speak, that you would fill my mouth. Holy Spirit, would you put your words in my mouth? Enable me to speak as I should. Lord, I pray that you would give gifts of faith. Would you put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 5. You guys know how to turn there now in your Bibles. I mean, we've done this so many times. You know exactly where it is. 1 John chapter... Next week, you're not going to know what to do. Chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 13. I can actually read it now. 
I, I might take a swan dive. It's, it's worth paying attention. My depth perception is like, really? I drove over a curb. Just. All right. First, enough of this, right? Begin in verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. John here finishes writing to this group of house churches and he concludes on the same note that he started back in chapter one. If you'll remember, verse three of chapter one said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so all this time, having spent all of this ink, he's trying to make sure that the church knows how it is that they have a relationship with God through Jesus. He wants to make sure that they've got that all the way down, which is demonstrated, he says, over and over, by the way that we love one another. That this is the evidence that you have a relationship with God. And John gives them this parting wisdom as they continue to live their lives as followers of Jesus. And what John certainly has in mind is all of the ways that those false teachers who are still around may try to persuade them to come along. I mean, we read this, right? And the, the false teachers, they left, and maybe in your mind you're like, good, they're out of the picture, right? No, like, if you think about your own life, and if you overcome temptation one time, it's not like the temptation just goes away, Right? It's not like the alternative theology just goes away. These false teachers will continue to assault the church and say, no, you're wrong. We have it right. The, the, the uh, uh, assault won't stop. And so John's saying, this is the way that you're going to live through and, and, and fight against the false teaching. And the first thing he calls them to is to stay connected to God in prayer. Stay connected to God in prayer. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we have what we asked of him. He's saying that if God hears you, it's as good as done. Don't you wish you had children did that? You guys have kids? How many times do you have to say, right? I said it 30 times. You heard me. Why is it not? Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. John says that we have confidence when we come to God in prayer. And he says that 
If we, if we will pray to God and he hears us, he, he will give us whatever we ask. But he puts this caveat in here, right? He says, if we ask according to his will. Now, that may do something in some of you. It sort of feels like a, an anxiety-producing statement, right? Like, oh, gosh, I'm, I might, how do I know if I'm praying this according to his will, and maybe I shouldn't pray it because I don't know if it's according to his will, and he'll give me if it's according to his will. And if it sends you on a spiral around the will of God, if that statement sends you on a spiral, it's evidence that something is amiss in your relationship with God. It's evidence that you're still living in relationship with God out of fear and not from love, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Because here's the thing, John writes this actually to create liberation. It's supposed to be freeing. He says, if you ask anything according to the will of God, he will give it to you. And it should change the way that you pray in at least two ways. The first way it should, it should change the way that you pray is if we are followers of Jesus who are in a love relationship with God our Father... We actually never have to worry that we're praying the wrong things. You never have to worry that you're praying the wrong thing. Because if you're praying according to God's will, that's what he'll give. If you're not, it's not like you can wreck the world with your prayers. You can't make a disaster of the world in your prayers. You are free to pray to God whatever is in your heart. Is that a freeing thought? I mean, think about that for a minute. You can pray whatever's in here, which means that you can voice to God all of the hurt, all of the trauma, all of the anger, all of the frustration. You can say all of it, and God wants to hear it. And you can say all of that knowing that your prayer is not going to wreck the world. Right? So you can pray out of the, the twisted parts of your heart and the deepest hurts from your heart, knowing that God will comfort you in those spaces, but you're not going to make a mess of the world. It's sort of what's happening in Psalm 137. You guys know Psalm 137? Some of you are like, yeah, I know that one. But here we go. I'm going to read part of Psalm 137. Verses 7 to 9 says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. These are some hurt people. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them on the rocks. This is a prayer from the nation of Israel to God. And essentially, it's this, get them back worse than they got us, God. How many of you feel comfortable praying to God that way? You see, this phrase that John puts in here ought to liberate you to pray that way to God. Here's why this is liberating. God doesn't change the pretend self that you offer him. God changes the actual self that you offer him. So when you say what's true in your heart, and you say, God, go get them, God kind of comes back and goes, well, why don't we talk about that? I see that you're hurting. Can you tell me more? 
I see that there's real pain in your heart. Is there more you want to say? Do you have this kind of prayer life with God? Or do you pray to God like metering every single word, making sure that it sounds real pretty, making sure it sounds holy enough? Do you measure every single word? I don't know if I can say that because I don't know if it's according to the will of God and it really doesn't sound that cleaned up. Is that how you pray? Afraid to say all of the things because who knows what will happen if I tell God all the things. A lot of times when people are deconstructing faith, they're not deconstructing real faith. What they're deconstructing is the facade that they put up. I've been forced to relate to God in this way, and I thought I had to clean up my act every time I came and talked to God. And I'm tired of putting on the show. And so I'm deconstructing. If you want to make your faith in Jesus stick for the long term, you bring your actual self to him. You say the things that are actually true. There's a confidence that you have when you know that the only things that God's going to act on on your behalf are the things according to his will. It means you can bring yourself and allow yourself to be shaped and changed. You can bring your hurts. You can bring the pain. And you can talk about how mad it made you when that happened to you. And he listens. And he comforts you. And when you say, God, go get them, he says, why don't we talk about that? There's a confidence that you can have out of this statement. That you can actually bring your whole self to God. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on a show. That's one of the reasons why Scripture like, advises against putting new believers in places where they teach. Because when you get up here, you move into a glass house. When I stand up here and I tell you things about the way I live life and the way I try to follow Jesus, all of you get to see it. And then all of you watch me when I walk through Lowe's and I'm frustrated. When I go to Home Depot, I'm less frustrated. <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is, over time, you put on this, like, the temptation is to put on this thing that I think I'm supposed to be. I'm up front, and I, put on, I can put on this thing that I think you want to see, and eventually the dichotomy between who I really am and who you see gets too great. And this is why you watch leader after leader collapse and implode. I never try to put on a show for you guys. I'm always who I am, or at least as much as God gives me grace to be, right? But the temptation, especially if you're leading worship or you're in anything in front of people, is to sort of, I have to be this person. And until you can get to a place where you know who it is God's made you to be, it's a dangerous thing to be living that life. Make sense? The second way that this statement ought to shape, I know I have a second point here. Yeah, there it is. That this, <laughs> that's what happens when you get off your, I can't see, you know, all the things. The second way that this statement ought to shape the way that you pray 
whenever he says asking according to God's will, the way that should shape you is it ought to make you a kind of person who desperately seeks the will of God. Like if, if we know that God is going to answer prayers that are according to his will, we ought to be people who desperately seek the will of God. And do you know it's not hard to find the will of God? Some of you are like, really? It's not hard. God loves to reveal himself and share what his heart is, but he doesn't blast it out everywhere. God shares his heart in intimate spaces with those that he loves. In these places where we dial down and we shut our mouths and we just listen to God and we sit with God. You want to know what the will of God is? You have to create space for that. We ought to be people who have created space where we can hear God. We have to dial down and be quiet and let God speak. If your prayer life is more you talking than listening, something's off. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have the brightest things to say. God has a lot of really smart things to say. I should probably shut my mouth and listen, right? And that may be true for you, or maybe you guys are just as smart as God is, and you guys have a good, a good dialogue. But this, and I want to say this, this may sound a little bit prideful, and I don't mean that, so please give me grace. One of the things that I have loved about the vineyard is we have a way of doing faith that sort of builds this into it. And it's not that we're bright people. It's not that we're like even the most holy people. In fact, if you stood on the outside looking in, you'd kind of go, you guys are really not all that holy. Um, I followed you through Lowe's, I know, right? <laughs> but there's a way, there's a mechanism that sort of got built into the foundation of the way the vineyard does church. And it's this thing, if you've been here any amount of time, at the end of every service, my desire is to see what it is God is doing and just join him in whatever it is he's doing. And so we create these intentional spaces at the end of the service where I'm going to dial down what I'm saying, Right? We're going to get quiet. I'm like, why don't we stand in some silence for a little bit? And you're like, all of you are like, that's the weirdest part of this service. But I'm serious. Like, if we dial down, we get quiet, and then I just want to wait to hear what God has to say. Because I can tell you all the plans that I have for us at the end of a service, but it seems like God's probably the one in charge here, and so he probably should be the one to tell us what to do. And so we just have this mechanism that's built into the foundation of who we are as, as a church where we do this every single time. Or if you've been in a small group, the way Jerry and I finish small groups every time, you know, you can go around the circle, and don't hear me, I'm saying this is a bad thing. You can go around the circle in your small group and say, what do you need prayer for? What do you need prayer for? What do you need prayer for? Right? And that's what a lot of us do, right? Just ask everybody what they need prayer for, and then one person who's really brave goes, God, I pray for all of these things. And then they read their list, right? And we've prayed for each other. And that's not bad. But perhaps God might have something he wants to do. And so at the end of every small group we lead, we say we believe God still speaks, but often our lives are too busy or too loud to hear him. And so we're going to make space. We're going to dial down the volume. We're going to be quiet. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit if he has anything he wants to do. And then we wait. And whenever we have a sense of what God wants to do, we pray that thing. Because here's the deal. Here's what ends up happening. You can ask everybody what they want prayer for, and almost, you know, like half of the group a lot of times is like, my work situation is terrible, right? You guys have been in these groups, or maybe you haven't been in a group. This is how groups work. <laughs> my work life, 
my family life, you know, one of these things, my financial life. And so you go, man, my, my work situation, it's, it's a real terrible place to work and I have a real hard time. And my boss and my coworkers and nobody seems to really like me and, and I really need prayer for that. Now we could pray for that, right? Or we could say, God, what are you doing? And we sit and we wait and God says, that one over there, she's wrestling with deep-seated fear in her life that happened as trauma as a child. And we go, do you have like deep-seated fear that came out of a trauma as a child? And the person, this is the way they always look, right? It's like, how did you know? God just told me this, and I think God wants us to pray for you. Guess what? Whenever they get healed of the fear, they get set free of the fear, the work situation changes itself. Had we just prayed for the work situation, they'd come back the next week, and I was like, well, my boss was kind of nice to me this week. But if we prayed to heal the situation at a deeper level, it changes the way work happens every time. You see the difference? We become people who seek the will of God because we want to do it. And it turns out that's Jesus' way of doing ministry. Did you know that? Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. Which means he says, God, what are you up to? All right, I'm going to do that. We can spend a whole lot of time asking God to bless all the crazy ideas that we have, right? This is the way we do church. Let's, God, we're going to do these 35 things. Will you bless all of them? And we can have prayer circles around God bless the things that we've decided to do. Or we can take a page out of Jesus' book and say, God, what are you doing? Oh, it seems like you're doing something with Alpha. We want to do that. Can we get on board with what you're doing? And that's the way to make decisions. If you do things the way Jesus does, it turns out it's way more effective and people don't get burned out. You ever been burned out in a church? Usually it's because you're doing 365 things, 365 days a year. And you're hoping God will bless one or two of them. It's a different way to do ministry. So if we want to stay Christian for the long haul, we first stay connected to God in prayer. John says we also stay connected to the body of Christ in fellowship. If you haven't heard that in this, ser this series, you're going to hear it again. Verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. That's pretty clear. And then John muddies the water. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. As you read this, it might get a little confusing, right? It was clear we're supposed to pray for those who have found their way into sin, and then there's this stuff about death and sins that don't lead to death. And some of you are like, well, what is it that he's talking about? Is this like suicide? Is that the sin that leads to death? Is suicide? Or some of you who grew up around Catholic background, you're like, is it mortal and venial sins? Is this just what we're doing? Is that the, the stuff? No, that's not what John's talking about. If you remember the context that John is talking about, it's this church split, right? And the, the false teachers left and they said, you don't have to have a relationship with Jesus. All along, John has been saying, eternal life comes from relationship in Jesus. You are born of God in relationship to Jesus. The sin that leads to death that John is talking about is a rejection of Jesus as a way of salvation. It's, the, it's the, akin to like standing on a tree branch to cut, you know, get yourself some firewood and cutting off the branch you're standing on, right? You guys know this picture? You can imagine me falling all the way down because I just cut the branch off. 
What John is saying is if you reject Jesus as your means of salvation, you have no other way to receive eternal life. There's nothing else. It's the sin that leads to death. There's no forgiveness outside of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. So when John here talks about the sin that leads to death, he's saying if you reject Jesus, there's no atonement for your sin. Jesus is the pipeline for forgiveness. If you cut the pipeline off, you can try to draw it, make your own way, but there is no other pipeline. And it may seem like John is saying, well, then are you saying don't pray for lost people? That's not what John is saying. He says, I'm not saying you should pray for that. What he's saying when he says that is, that's not the topic of this sentence. I'm not saying you should pray for that. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for that. What I'm saying is, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we pray for each other when we find ourselves stumbling into sin. If you want to stay Christian for the long haul, you're going to need brothers and sisters around you who will pray for you when you fall into sin. And the reason we need this, I mean, if you're like me, is because you find yourself there all the time. It's like something's really broken. I keep coming back to Lowe's. I was really irritated. Why don't you organize it the right way? Right? We find ourselves just falling into sin all the time. And even as we grow up, we get a little bit more mature. We go, gosh, I still have these really angry and hateful attitudes towards people. And God consistently is like, hey, that's not my best for you. It's not what I intend for you, right? We find ourselves stumbling into sin. And Jesus, the, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to pray for you. Like, do you know that's what this is supposed to be? It's people you're following Jesus with who when they see you stumble, they say, let me pray for you. That you can again be connected to Jesus. And the reason it's important is because we all fall. There's not a person in this room that doesn't stumble into sin. And when you do... When you stumble into sin, what has happened is you take a step away from God and you turn this way, right? I'm going a different way. And if you're really in tune with the Spirit of God and conviction is just really primed with you, God goes, hey, that's not the way to go. And you go, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. I turn, I confess, I repent, I come back into fellowship with Jesus, right? That's the super holy people. The rest of us go like this, right? We take a step this way. And then we're like, ooh, that wasn't the right one, but I don't want to go back. Take another one, right? And we add one big mistake on top of another, and then we keep walking. And a bad morning turns into a bad day, turns into a bad week, turns into a bad month. You guys know this one. A month later, you're like, it's been a month since I've been in fellowship with Jesus. You're like, I can't claim that. That sounds bad. I'm sitting in church. I'm supposed to be holier than that. I know how it works. And all of a sudden, you find yourself like a year, two years, five years down the road, and you're like, I feel so far from Jesus. And what happens? In a blubbering heap, you go, God, if you could save me. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but don't we do that? We fall apart before Jesus, and he... Because he loves us, he takes us back and forgives us. But let me offer you an alternative possibility. What if you were in a community of people who deeply knew you 
and who you deeply knew, and they knew all the excellent things you bring to the table. You're such a, a, a warm and encouraging person. You're so hospitable. You know the Bible so well. We love you so much for that. And then they also know the bad parts, right? You also are kind of an alcoholic. You kind of stumble into like online pornography on a regular basis. You're kind of a racist person. You, you know, they know all the things. And they love you. And they walk with you on our way to following Jesus. And so when you take your step back, you don't go, well, I guess I got to take all the steps. You reach out to those people and you're like, hey, I did it again. I did it again. The same thing? Yeah, same thing. Do you know there's grace for you? I'm going to pray for you now. And instead of losing days and weeks and months and years to shame and guilt, and that cycle that we find ourselves in, you get restored. Can you imagine that? That's what this is supposed to be. That's why we're starting these life groups. I mean, we've run them as small groups, midpoint communities. I think we've landed on the name life group. That's what they're for. Because as more people show up in this room, you need people that you don't just walk with on Sunday, but you walk with on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday right? Because Thursday night at 11 p.m. when you stumble into something online that you shouldn't have been into, it's a long way to wait till Sunday. You probably have people that you can reach out to. Hey, here I am again. Okay, let me pray for you. We're going to get through this together. We walk lockstep arm in arm. That's what this is supposed to be. If you want to stay Christian for the long haul, you need people around you who are going to pray for you. This thing is not optional. It's kind of essential. So we stay connected to God in prayer. We stay connected to the body of Christ in fellowship. The last thing John says is we stay connected to Jesus in worship. And you're like, I didn't see worship in there. Are you pulling the wool over my eyes? No, watch this. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's a real weird way to end, isn't it? Like this flow is going and then he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He calls back one more time to the centrality of Jesus in our faith. And what he says is, keep yourselves from idols. Back in chapter 2, if you recall, the false teachers, this is what they're guilty of. They're rejecting Jesus because they are worshiping something else. They have adopted for themselves other gods that they believe will save them. They've rejected this one. They say, I can have a relationship with God all by myself. And what he's saying is that there's always going to be other options. There's always going to be other options. You're always going to come across a different YouTube video that produces a shorter way to grow yourself in three steps into the mature Christian that you always wanted to be. You're always going to come up with this other theology that's, man, this seems just a little bit nicer. I like this better. There's always going to be another option. There's always going to be more efficient ways presented to you to have relationship with God. And of course, we're Americans, we like efficiency, right? 
But what John says is anything that removes Jesus as the central point is worshiping an idol. Anything that you put hope in but Jesus is an idol. It says if you want to be Christian on the long haul, you have to worship Jesus. We never graduate from complete dependence on Jesus. From the water to our grave, there's never a day you graduate from Jesus as central. Never a day. There's not like a, okay, now that you've got that mastered, let's talk about the secret stuff. There is no secret stuff. Do you know the stuff that gets you into the water in the first place is the stuff that leads you the rest of your life? It never changes. We live in a culture, culture that's constantly trying to take Jesus off the throne and put you there. All the time, right? What's Burger King's slogan? Your way right away? Is it still that? There you go. Everything about our culture is constantly trying to say, no, you belong to, on the throne of your life. You are the king of your own uh, domain. You are the king. You, you deserve this. Right? Doesn't our whole life scream that to us? Our whole culture screams that at us. And it's become so fashionable that we just bring it into the church, don't we? Like, well, you know, this is really about your desires and your significance. It's really about your purpose. As much as I like the statement, you were created on purpose for a purpose, it's a self-serving statement. It's true, but it's true with an asterisk. God does want you to become who he created you to be, which, quite honestly, he created all of us to be far more amazing people than we are. But we never get past this bowing at the throne of Jesus. And as soon as we put ourselves on the throne of our own lives, it all goes sideways. We never graduate. Even when we engage in ministry, right? You get to this place where people are like, recognize ministry calling do you know that this doesn't work if I don't lay my face at the foot of Jesus as my king? Church history is littered with people who started right, who started with their faces bowed at the throne of Jesus, but who got a little bit good at preaching and a little bit good at leading worship, and they made this switch, and they put themselves on the thrones of their lives we weren't built that way. We were built to humble ourselves before Jesus. And there's no way to stay Christian in the long haul if you don't cultivate in your life some sort of deeply intimate, regular worship of Jesus where you again come and lay your face at the foot of the throne. Say, Jesus, you are king, and I am not. You're worthy of praise, and I am not. And I bow myself to you again. It's part of the reason I think God is in, inviting us in this church this year into deeper intimate worship. Because if we actually want to be people who live this life for the long haul, we have to be people who worship Jesus. If we want to be Christians for the long haul, we stay connected to God in prayer, we stay connected to the body of Christ in fellowship, and we stay connected to Jesus in worship. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom 
in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.